Section 7 of Police Operation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Police Operation by H. Beam Piper. Section 7. The grass was wet as Verkan Vall, who reminded himself that here he was called Richard Lee, crossed the yard from the farmhouse to the ramshackle barn in the early autumn darkness. It had been raining that morning when the strato rocket from Durgabar had landed him at the Hagraban Synthetic Works on the first level. Unaffected by the probabilities of human history, the same rain had been coming down on the old Kinchwalter farm near Rudder's Fort on the fourth level. It had persisted all day in a slow, deliberate drizzle. He didn't like that. The woods would be wet, muffling his quarry's footsteps and cancelling his only advantage over the night prowler he hunted. He had no idea, however, of postponing the hunt. If anything, the rain had made it all the more imperative that the night-hound be killed at once. At this season, a falling temperature would speedily follow. The night-hound, a creature of the hot Venus marshes, would suffer from the cold, and, taught by years of domestication to find warmth among human habitations, it would invade some isolated farmhouse, or worse, one of the little valley of villages. If it were not killed tonight, the incident he had come to prevent would certainly occur. Going to the barn, he spread an old horse blanket on the seat of the jeep, laid his rifle on it, and then backed the jeep outside. Then he took off his coat, removing his pipe and tobacco from the pockets, and spread it on the wet grass. He unwrapped a package and took out a small plastic spray gun he had brought with him from the first level, aiming it at the coat and pressing the trigger until it blew itself empty. A sickening, rancid fetter tainted the air, the scent of the giant poison roach of Venus the one creature for which the night hound bore an inborn, implacable hatred. It was because of this compulsive urge to attack and kill the deadly poisoned roach that the first human settlers on Venus, long millennia ago, had domesticated the ugly and savage night hound. He remembered that the Gavrin family derived their title from their vast Venus Totlands estates, that Gavrin Sarn, the man who had brought this thing to the fourth level, had been born on the inner planet. When Verkan Vall donned that coat, he would become his own living bait for the murderous fury of the creature he sought. At the moment, mastering his queasiness and putting on the coat, he objected less to that danger than to the hideous stench of the scent, to obtain which a valuable specimen had been sacrificed at the Durgabar Museum of Extraterrestrial Zoology the evening before. Carrying the wrapper and the spray gun to an outside fireplace, he snapped his lighter to them and tossed them in. They were highly inflammable, blazing up and vanishing in a moment. He tested the electric headlamp on the front of his cap, checked his rifle, drew the heavy revolver, an authentic product of his line of operation, and flipped the cylinder out and in again. Then he got into the jeep and drove away. For half an hour he drove quickly along the valley roads. Now and then he passed farmhouses, and dogs, puzzled and angered by the alien scent his coat bore, barked furiously. At length he turned into a back road, and from this to the barely discernible trace of an old log road. The rain had stopped, and, in order to be ready to fire in any direction at any time, he had removed the top of the jeep. Now he had to crouch below the windshield to avoid overhanging branches. Once three deer, a buck and two does, stopped in front of him and stared for a moment, then bounded away with a flutter of white tails. He was driving slowly now, laying behind him a reeking trail of scent. There had been another stock killing the night before, while he had been on the first level. The locality of this latest depredation had confirmed his estimate of the beast's probable movements, and indicated where it might be prowling tonight. He was certain that it was somewhere near. Sooner or later, it would pick up the scent. Finally, he stopped, snapping out his lights. 
He had chosen this spot carefully while studying the geological survey map that afternoon. He was on the grade of an old railroad line, now abandoned and its track long removed, which had served the logging operations of fifty years ago. On one side, the mountain slanted sharply upward, on the other, it fell away sharply. If the nighthound were below him, it would have to climb that forty-five degree slope, and could not avoid dislodging loose stones or otherwise making noise. He would get out on that side. If the nighthound were above him, the cheap would protect him when it charged. He got to the ground, thumbing off the safety of his rifle, and an instant later he knew that he had made a mistake which could easily cost him his life, a mistake from which neither his comprehensive logic nor his hypnotically acquired knowledge of the beast's habits had saved him. As he stepped to the ground, facing toward the front of the jeep, he heard a low, whining cry behind him, and a rush of padded feet. He whirled, snapping on the headlamp with his left hand, and thrusting out his rifle, pistol-wise, in his right. For a split second, he saw the charging animal, its long, lizard-like head split in a toothy grin, its talon-tipped forepaws extended. He fired, and the bullet went wild. The next instant, the rifle was knocked from his hand. Instinctively, he flung up his left arm to shield his eyes. Claws raked his left arm and shoulder. Something struck him heavily along the left side, and his cap light went out as he dropped and rolled under the jeep, drawing in his legs and fumbling under his coat for the revolver. In that instant, he knew what had gone wrong. His plan had been entirely too much of a success. The nighthound had winded him as he had driven up the old railroad grade and had followed. Its best running speed had been just good enough to keep it a hundred or so feet behind the jeep, and the motor noise had covered the padding of its feet. In the few moments between stopping the little car and getting out, the nighthound had been able to close the distance and spring upon him. It was characteristic of first-level mentality that Verkan Vall wasted no moments on self-reproach or panic. While he was still rolling under his jeep, his mind had been busy with plans to retrieve the situation. Something touched the heel of one boot, and he froze this leg into immobility, at the same time trying to get the big Smith & Wesson free. The shoulder holster he had found was badly torn, though made of the heaviest skirting leather, and the spring which retained the weapon in place had been wrenched and bent until he needed both hands to draw. The eight-inch slashing claw of the nighthound's right intermediary limb had raked him. Only the instinctive motion of throwing his arm up and the fact that he wore the revolver in a shoulder holster had saved his life. The nighthound was prowling around the jeep, whining frantically. It was badly confused. It could see quite well, even in the close darkness of the starless night. Its eyes were of a nature capable of perceiving infrared radiations as light. There were plenty of these. The jeep's engine, lately running on four-wheel drive, was quite hot. Had he been standing alone, especially on this raw, chilly night, Verkan Vall's own body heat would have lighted him up like a jack-o'-lantern. Now, however, the hot engine above him masked his own radiations. Moreover, the poison roach scent on his coat was coming up through the floorboard and mingling with the scent on the seat. Yet the nighthound couldn't find the two-and-a-half-foot insect-like thing that should have been producing it. Verkan Vall lay motionless, wondering how long the next move would be in coming. Then he heard the thud above him, followed by a furious tearing as the nighthound ripped the blanket and began rending at the seat cushion. "'Hope it gets a paw full of seat springs,' Verkan Vall commented mentally. He had already found a stone about the size of his two fists, and another slightly smaller, and had put one in each of the side pockets of the coat. Now he slipped his revolver into his waist belt and writhed out of the coat, shedding the ruined shoulder holster at the same time. Wriggling on the flat of his back, he squirmed between the rear wheels until he was able to sit up behind the jeep. Then, swinging the weighted coat, he flung it forward over the nighthound and the jeep itself, at the same time drawing his revolver. Immediately, the nighthound, lured by the sudden movement of the principal source of the scent, jumped out of the jeep and bounded after the coat, 
and there was considerable noise in the brush on the lower side of the railroad grade. At once, Virgin Vall swarmed into the jeep and snapped on the lights. His stratagem had succeeded beautifully. The stinking coat had landed on the top of a small bush about ten feet in front of the jeep and ten feet from the ground. The nighthound, erect on its haunches, was reaching out with its front paws to drag it down and slashing angrily at it with its single-clawed intermediary limbs. Its back was to Virgin Vall. His sights clearly defined by the lights in front of him, the paratimer centered them on the base of the creature's spine, just above its secondary shoulders, and carefully squeezed the trigger. The big three fifty seven magnum bucked in his hand and belched flame and sound. If only these fourth-level weapons weren't so confoundedly boisterous, the nighthound screamed and fell. Recocking the revolver, Virkin Vall waited for an instant, then nodded in satisfaction. The beast's spine had been smashed, and its hindquarters, and even its intermediary fighting limbs had been paralyzed. He aimed carefully for a second shot, and fired into the base of the thing's skull. It quivered and died. End of section 7